All right, gentlemen. If I can get your attention. Thank you guys uh, for coming this morning. We're getting started a little bit late. Uh, please don't tell us, guys. Well, it's on a uh, tape recorder now. So that's uh, out of the question. If you haven't gotten uh, any food, be sure to grab something um, when you can. Uh, also, the handouts are in the back. So if you haven't picked up any handouts, be sure to grab that. That has your homework for next time we meet. In a couple weeks, the yellow sheet is is uh, your homework for next week. Uh, just like we always do, if you need to get up at any point in time, feel free to do that. Move around freely. Uh, there aren't really any rules as long as you're not a distraction. Uh, by now, everybody should be willing to uh, the primary build homework every week, which is the, the reading plans. Um, obviously, we're not <clears throat> super strict on that. As long as you're, you're reading God's word, that works. And uh, if you've fallen behind, don't, uh, don't be discouraged. Just keep pressing on with, with uh, the reading plans and uh, make sure that the guys in your group, if you, you, know, if you have fallen behind, uh, that you get some encouragement from guys in your build groups. That's one of the purposes that they serve uh, so that we can just be held accountable in that way and uh, continue to pursue God and his word. Um, the way that today's going to go is we'll do a quick devotional uh, before small groups and we'll break out into small groups for about 45 minutes or so and then uh, Smet will be uh, teaching us this morning on troubling and comforting truths. So before we get in God's word, let's go ahead and pray, and uh, then we'll get started. God, thank you so much for this time this morning. Uh, it's just a blessing to have so many men gather and rally around your word uh, when we've all barely woken up. Uh, we thank you for the blessing that uh, your word is to us, and God, I just pray that this morning as we open your word that it would be found pleasant to our souls, God, that you would uh, draw near us since this is where you revealed yourself. And God, I pray that as we as we look at your word that we would just be impressed and just weighed down by the reality that you've humbled yourself and chosen to speak to us, God, in this way. And, and you've done so for our good and your own glory. So we just thank, thank you for this time. Um, pray that our hearts are affected. And we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bible, open up to Proverbs chapter 2. We're going to look at the first 10 verses in Proverbs 2. As I was thinking about... Uh, what I was going to say this morning as we looked at this passage uh, one thing came to mind and I think it's interesting that the fact that God has spoken to us uh, in itself is humbling because it means that we're dependent on on him 
for an accurate knowledge of of uh, of anything. If we want to know something right about God, we're dependent on Him and what He said to us. If we want to know something right about the nature of man, then we have to go to His Word, uh, which just means that we don't have the answers in ourselves. And I think we'll see that as we look at Proverbs 2 this morning. So uh, let's let's look at the first 10 verses. I'll read it, and then uh, we'll look at a few different points. That's, that's in the text. Solomon says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of Yahweh and find the knowledge of God. For Yahweh gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of the saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. So Solomon, in talking to his son and teaching his son about uh, about this wisdom and how to be a wise man, he essentially in the first few verses lays out a bunch of conditions if you do this, if you do this, if you do this. And then he says, if his son does these things, then he'll understand the fear of Yahweh in verse 5 and find the knowledge of the Holy One. A couple things in this passage that I just want to point out. Verse 6 is is what we see about God. Verse 6 through 8. Yahweh gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. We've got this whole theology of shepherding your heart and uh, what it means to shepherd your heart with the word of God. Solomon uh, begins to unpack a little bit of of what we mean by that in verse 6. Yahweh gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Uh, Solomon recognizes that God is the possessor of wisdom and wisdom begins with God and it begins with God in his kindness actually giving it to man it's not something that that we can attain on our own but God has to give it to us and it's not generally he doesn't just implant it in your mind he doesn't uh, bring about some other means by which you get it but it says from his mouth come knowledge and understanding so the way God gives wisdom is is from his mouth through what he said Um, and that's what that's what we look at every time we open our Bibles we are opening God's wisdom and what he's spoken to us and that is where knowledge and understanding come from Uh, it also says he stores up sound wisdom for the upright in verse 7 he is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of, of his saints. I think that in the in the context of what Solomon is saying, the, the way that God uh, guards and protects those who walk in integrity is through the wisdom that he gives them because of the things in, that, he, that he goes on to say that wisdom protects you from the adulterous women, 
men of corrupt speech, those things are, are things that God's wisdom protects us from. But since wisdom comes from God's mouth, uh, in this time wisdom was really accessible. The God's wisdom was supposed to be written on doorposts, on, on clothes. They were supposed to be discussing God's wisdom that he had spoken through Moses. Um, so wisdom is very accessible to Solomon's son and the Jews in this culture. Uh, but God's wisdom that he gives, which he's anxious to give, uh, can be attained. But it's, condi- it's based on this condition in verse 2. Or one through one through four, but specifically, let's look at verse two. He says, "If if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments, how making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, uh, we're all responsible for our hearts." Solomon's talking to his son, and he doesn't let the fact that his son is is young or a child let him off the hook. That doesn't get him off the hook. He's still responsible for his own heart. Uh, which is which is what shepherding the heart is about, right? And he says that your heart has to be inclined to understanding. The reason that if Solomon's son inclined his heart to understanding, uh, in verse 5, that he actually would understand, the heart has to be inclined to understanding, but the reason that he would understand the fear of Yahweh if he did that and find the knowledge of God is only because God is willing to give it. Does that make sense? So Solomon's son is supposed to incline his heart to understanding. Understanding can be attained, the understanding of the fear of Yahweh in verse 5, and the knowledge of God. But the reason that he can actually attain that understanding or gain that knowledge, that wisdom, is because God is kind and he's willing to give that wisdom. Uh, let's jump down to verse 10 verse 9 then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity every good path because wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul Uh, God's wisdom that, that he's spoken in his word that the wisdom that comes from his mouth uh, the destination of that wisdom is the heart. Wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Uh, one thing that, when I, as I was looking at this, uh, a question that I asked was, does my interaction with God's word cause my heart to be pleasant, delightful, and rejoice? I think that's the aim that, that Solomon is getting at. Um, for those of us who have a new nature, have been given a new nature and have the uh, capacity to understand what God has said in his word and draw near to God, uh, it should it should rejoice us as we as we see God's character, as we come in contact with uh, with God's wisdom. Our our response, our heart's response should be uh, a rejoicing. Um, And it just caused me to think about my own time in God's word. Am I just getting up from reading God's word kind of apathetic still? Or is my heart actually rejoicing and uh, filled with with wonder at at what I just read? 
so the the term shepherding your heart when we talk about shepherding your heart which is what build is about that's uh that's what it means it's, it's coming into contact with god's word uh often frequently and as you come in contact with the wisdom that god's spoken uh is is your heart receiving that truth and are you being changed by it um so uh Flip your binders over. The six build disciplines. Uh, if there's one thing that we want to be rallied around, it's around God's word and the way that's supposed to change and impact us. And so these six disciplines are what the, the class is founded on. Uh, the first discipline, the heart. Uh, we said this over and over again, what we just talked about, God's word, uh, connecting and uh, colliding with your own heart for the purpose of primarily knowing God. Um, you've heard it said here probably that we come to the word of God to get the God of the word, uh, not primarily to win a theological debate or uh, win, win an argument, but primarily we want to we want to know who God is because this is where he's revealed himself. Uh, and if, in fact, the word is impacting your heart, uh, if it's resonating with your heart, then the first people who should benefit from what God's doing in your, in your heart through his word, discipline two, is the people in your home. Right? They're the people you live with. They are uh, the primary re- recipients of your either righteousness, holiness, or sin. So if your word, if your heart is being impacted with God's word, then they should be uh, affected first. Single guys don't don't get uh, don't get off the hook either, right? Um, when I was living with single guys that looked like us getting together every other week and uh, discussing sin, holding each other accountable, <clears throat> talking about what we were reading in God's word. Um, so. Impacting the home takes takes a few different shapes. Obviously, now it looks a lot different for Emily and I um, than it did with a bunch of single guys. But uh, the point is that what, whatever God's doing in your heart is coming to bear on on your home before being outside the home, uh, which is discipline three, the ministry. Uh, <clears throat> since we're men who want to be impacted with God's word and impact our homes with God's word and, and what he's doing in our hearts, then the church, uh, God's, God's people, uh, should also be affected by what he's doing in your word, or in, in your heart, rather. Um, so that looks like serving. If you're on setup or tear down, or you're in children's and actually teaching, or just watching kids in the, in the younger ages, uh, whatever God's doing in your heart should also come to bear in in whatever ministry you're involved in, right? You should be. Uh, we should all be men who, because we love God's word, that's that's what we talk about. That's what we think about. Uh, it's just a part of us, right? We can't separate ourselves from from God's word. Uh, next, discipline four: the qualifications. Uh, it's the elders' desire that every man, and I think 
God's desire even that every man uh, be aiming at deacon qualifications at the very least but uh, elder qualifications since the qualifications for an elder are really it's just a picture of a mature a mature man then that's what we want to aim at uh, it's uh, so many of the elder qualifications are just Christ likeness reworded um, it's, and it's been interesting for me to think through the qualifications uh, I think it's a temptation to think of being qualified as an elder as if uh, it's it's some sort of uh, something that you don't have one day and then you've attained to it so yesterday I wasn't qualified but now yes I'm finally, finally qualified uh, but the men who are recognized as qualified have been qualified before they're recognized and that's, that's been helpful for me to think about um, the people who are recognized as men who are qualified to lead a body have already been doing it in a sense long before they're asked to uh, so discipline four discipline f- uh, five the hermeneutic uh, deals with how we study our bible how do we uh, rightly understand what God has, has spoken to us if the Bible, which it is, the standard of, of all truth and uh, the standard for our faith and practice, then we need to know how to rightly divide the word, uh, which is where hermeneutics comes in. And uh, the emphasis should be on reading your Bible forward, uh, not backwards. Since it was spoken uh, in history, then we think of it in its historical context, uh, grammatical t- context, uh, it's, it's literature and so uh, God has spoken to us in a way that's that's understandable and hermeneutics has everything to do with um, rightly understanding what he said and finally discipline six since uh, we're not at any other church we're at Grace Bible um, the church is guided by the vision and purpose <clears throat> the vision and purpose of, uh, of this church specifically so um, drawing people in or drawing people in building them up sending them out uh, being guided by a uh, a vision that is one that's Christ centered uh, based on uh, what we see in in God himself uh, is is what our vision and purpose is, is based on and throughout the year we'll move through through these six things uh is what Scott will be teaching on. So, John Calvin said the two most important areas of knowledge are the knowledge of God and the knowledge of yourself. And so this morning we're going to uh, plow into D1 some more, uh, looking at the human heart, looking at our hearts, uh, how to shepherd our hearts. And uh, so we're going to pray and uh, we'll dive into that. <clears throat> God, thank you so much for these men. I give you praise that you would do such a work in them that they would show up on a Saturday morning to uh, study your word, that they might know you, that they would study themselves, that they might uh, drag themselves under the influence of you and your word and the power of your spirit because they want to be men. They want to be changed men. They want to be transformed men. Uh, They want to be men who uh, are all about the business of knowing you and making you known. Uh, Thank you for that. Thank you for your grace in that. 
Now we pray for our time this morning that it would be glorifying to you, that it would be helpful to us, uh, that your word would have its way and do its work in us, even as you have designed it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I've had a number of old cars that I have possessed and driven. And uh, I don't know if any of you have... uh, They possessed me. Is that what you were asking? Yeah. Uh, Some of them were possessed, I'm sure. Um, Or had alignment issues. One of the two. (laughs) Or, yeah, thankfully none of them got repossessed. Thanks, Tom. (laughs) Well, I didn't know that's how this class went. Like, we're already off track. Something about this side of the room over here. Troublemakers. Um, Well, yeah, and you know, it's kind of like the cars I'm trying to describe. They always pulled to the left. Uh, I don't know what the deal was. Um, A number of cars I've had had alignment issues, uh, or or you run into a curb, or or you hit something, and then all of a sudden that car just will not drive straight anymore. Um, Had a 67 Mustang, had a 96 Jeep Cherokee that for one reason or another, they wanted to pull into oncoming traffic. You know, whenever you have a car that you let your hands off the wheel and it it wants to veer, why don't they ever veer to the right? Uh, I'm sure in England they do. But uh, (laughs) cars have a tendency when they go out of alignment to pull themselves into oncoming traffic. That's a dangerous situation. Uh, You cannot hope to drive a vehicle safely uh, that's, that's got a pull to the left with your hands off the wheel. You just can't do it. Um, You'll end up in a ditch. You'll end up in a head-on collision. Uh, You need to know your vehicle's tendencies if you're going to get from one place to the other safely and effectively. Uh, Brothers, we need to know our hearts. Our hearts have tendencies to pull. We don't drift into holiness. We don't drift into God-honoring thought. We don't just find our way accidentally into things that please the Lord. In fact, the tendencies of our hearts are the opposite of that. Our hearts want to pull us into oncoming traffic. They want to pull us into the ditch. And so the the real issue about shepherding the heart is about having both hands on the wheel, telling your heart what to do, what to think, where to go, how to behave. Um, And and there's really no hope for that apart from the gospel, apart from the word of God, apart from the spirit of God. And yet when a man is born again, things change at the fundamental level of the inner man. Things change at the heart level where now you have a desire to get a hold of your heart and your heart now has capacities to do things it never had before. Do you remember the, uh, the anthropology chart? Uh, you know, there were, uh, there were stages there. We had a, an unmixed... Oh. Anybody dig up one of those? Thanks, Jake. How many stages is that? I don't know. I can't even see it. You probably can't see it. We'll wait on that in a second. Um, But you know, the unregenerate state of man, pre-conversion state of man. So this first condition was an unmixed condition. This isn't going to look very much like your chart. Um, Stick figures. Well, there's got to be more than a stick figure because there's an inner man and an outer man. Right? So the stick figure is the inner man. That's the real you. That's the immaterial you. That's the heart, the mind, the brain. 
the, the command control center of who you are. That's your affections, your emotions, your will, your intellect. It's who you really are if you were to get all of your limbs amputated and your neck amputated and your torso amputated. It's the real you, right? It's what survives physical death. Okay, That's, that's the inside. Um, and, and before you were a believer, in an unmixed condition, you could only ever do that which displeased God. right? You didn't have capacities to please God. Um, in, in the mixed condition, post-conversion... Uh, you have the ability and the capacity to do things that please God for the first time, right? And then, I guess there's not another one here. Uh, well, yeah, there is. So, stick figure only, right? Um, at, at the rapture, um, at, this gets fixed. But if you die before Christ returns, before the resurrection, um, the inner you is all that exists, right? When our earthly tent is torn down, um, to be absent from the body, absent from this thing on the outside, absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. The real you, present with the Lord. right? And that's better by far. Even in a bodiless existence, sinless, with Jesus, better than when you had a body back here, for your inner man to manifest itself through. But there's coming a day, at the resurrection, where... That inner you, glorified, sinless, unmixed. This is unmixed. Unmixed meaning um, the only tendencies in the inner you are those that please God, right? And then the glorified state is also an unmixed condition, um, except with a body. A glorified body. Um, This one was sown in weakness, dishonor. Um, it bore the image of the earthy, 1 Corinthians 15. Um, this one is raised in glory and power and bears the image of the heavenly. Um, this person was predestined before time began to be conformed to the image of Christ. And here at 1 Corinthians 15, here at 1 Thessalonians 4, at the resurrection, um, all of that is culminated. Um, we could add another one, another unmixed condition. Um, prior to this one. Anybody want to guess what that is? I know it's not on your chart, but it's a trick question. This is Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Prior to the fall. Right? This one didn't last very long, but it is one of the states of man. Um, there's another way to think about these states of man. Um, we can think about them in relationship to sin, and we can think about these states in relationship to holiness. We can think about them in relationship to a lot of things, to work. Um, back here, work was great. Here, work stinks. Um, here, work still stinks, but it's redeemable, right? You can glorify God and, and work as worship. Um, here and here, work gets fun again all the time. So you can think about the states of man in relationship to everything. Relationships with other people. Here it was perfect. It was great. Um, Here it got really bad. Here it's still bad, but it's a whole lot better. Um, And there again it's perfect. Um, I want to think about the states of man in relationship to sin for just a second, okay? Here we could say Adam and Eve in an unmixed condition, they were able to sin. Able to sin. 
able to sin. Everybody agree with that? Right, because they did. Okay? Can't really argue with that. Um, here, um, post-fall, pre-conversion, an unmixed condition, um, we would say this, unable not to sin. Right? Every thoughts, the intentions, the heart is only evil continually. Um, there is no one good, not even one. There is no one righteous. Uh, their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison vipers is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways away if these had not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no one who does good, not even one. I mean, God's assessment of this condition is very clear. Not able to not sin. Isaiah 64, 6. Even their righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Okay? Um, what would you call this one? If we're using the same terminology in relationship to sin, this mixed condition we're in now as believers. Able not to sin. Able not to sin. It's good. Able not to sin. Right? Um, in this mixed condition, you now have capacities given to you at conversion by God through the Holy Spirit to not sin. You can actually do things that please God. You will be rewarded for things that you do in this mixed condition, in this body, that please God. You'll be rewarded for them. You know, and, and we'll stand at the reward, the bema seat judgment of Christ. We'll stand before Him. God will give rewards for the things we've done in the body, and we'll say, wait a second, God, um, the things you're rewarding me for, you know, all, all the stuff that I did uh, got burned up, thank you, I didn't want that stuff anyway, wood, hay, stubble, I'm glad I'm not dragging that with me into eternity, thank you for burning that up. By the way, sometimes we look at that reward as if it's, man, it's, that's going to be terrible to have my stuff burned up. Uh, no, you don't want that stuff. Praise God for burning up the wood, hay, and stubble. But he's going to reward the things, the precious metals and the things that last. And we're going to say, God, wait a second. All the stuff that lasted is the stuff you produced. Why are you rewarding me for it? That's right. That's the kind of God I am. I give and I give and I give. You couldn't do anything that pleased me except what I produced. And I'm going to reward you for it. Right? Ephesians 2.10. Um, good works which he prepared in advance that we might walk in them. He prepared them in advance and we walk in them and he rewards them. This is crazy. Who is this that we have to deal with? This is, this is God, and He's good. I don't know where I was. Um, able not to sin. We have capacities to do things to please God in this mixed condition. Um, what's the relationship to sin here? Not able to sin. Okay? Not able to sin. That's a glorious day. It's not the only reason we long for heaven, but uh, but it's a good one. Not able to sin. Can you imagine that? Have you ever thought about what it would be like to have a conversation with roommates or a wife or friends that was not at all tainted by sin? I mean, just words. How much trouble do we get in with words? How many forest fires do we start with words, right? Um, to have a conversation where you don't say anything with sinful intentions and somebody doesn't interpret with sinful intentions, no misunderstandings. I mean, just at the level of conversation, that is an unfathomable reality. <laughs> Not to mention everything else we do and all the stuff that doesn't quite get out but boils around inside. Um, that's thrilling. That's thrilling. Um, let's talk about holiness. I think I need to look at my page here for a second. Okay, um, 
Here we might call Adam and Eve's holiness as um, impermanent. Impermanent. Right? Do we need to prove this? Ethan. Oh, I'm sorry, I got a question. Go Realizing that like what happened in the garden was not God's plan B, would it be like would it be accurate to say that Adam and Eve were also able not to sin? Or is that something not something that we can know? Were they able not to sin, you mean, for a, for a time? Right. Yeah, they were able to sin, and they were also able not to sin. Okay. Um, but, if, but if by that do you mean, um, could they have not sinned forever? I would say no. God's plan, obviously, was to have sin in the world, um, to, to bring that through Adam. That's a good question. By the way, if you want the long answer to that, you've got to read Jonathan Edwards, The End for Which God Created the World. And it's a long answer. That's a good one. Um, so we would call their holiness impermanent, right? They had it, and it was complete. Before they sinned, they were holy people. Uh, they were able to interact with God. They were able to be in his presence. There was no barrier. I mean, we're talking direct access. The rest of the Bible, by the way, is sort of this reflection on the garden. God says, I will be their God and they will be my people and I will dwell with them. Well, guess what? After the Garden of Eden, every time God comes to dwell with his people, it's always mediated. Um, tents and buildings and curtains and walls and invisibility and transcendence, priesthoods. Uh, it's, it's not immediate. It's mediated. But Adam and Eve, immediate fellowship with God. Not mediated fellowship. Immediate fellowship. Right there with God. God dwelt with them. Talked with them. Walked with them. Um, but it was impermanent. Their holiness was impermanent. By the way, what does the word holiness mean? Separate. Yeah, separate. Separate. It doesn't just mean uh, in relationship to sin. Um, part of holiness is separation from sin, but it just fundamentally means separateness. When we talk about God's holiness, does it mean that God is separate from sin? Yeah, um, but it fundamentally means God is separate from the created order, right? He's the creator. We're the created things. We are fundamentally different. Um, I think it was uh, maybe Alistair Begg that said God is weird um, in the sense that he is just not like us. Um, seraphim in, in Isaiah 6 are saying, holy, holy, holy. Why? Because God is sinless and they're sinful? No, these are sinless beings that are saying, God, you are holy, meaning you are different. Okay. So uh, as it relates to, to, to holiness in the garden, Adam and Eve had holiness um, in the sense that um, they could be communing with God because that barrier wasn't broken by sin. Um, what about here? How would we? What would we? Um, how would we talk about holiness in the unmixed condition of unregenerate man? We're running away from God. Okay, we're running away from God. Separate. Yeah, separate. We're we're fundamentally different than God, um, but we don't have the holiness God demands. We would say here that um, our holiness is non-existent. Right? You just there's not a capacity for holiness, um, and, and the world has a category for the holy man with the orange robes and the goofy traditions and all the man-made garbage. Right? They call it oh, he's a holy man. Uh, that man knows nothing of holiness. You can't have it apart from regeneration. 
Right? Categorically, holiness is not available here. It's not available. Okay, the next category. And what would we say about holiness for the mixed condition of the believer? That we would be growing in holiness. Okay, growing in holiness. And I think what Jeff means there is growing in the practical holiness of separation from sin. Separation unto God, right? Sanctification. Um, by the way, sanctification and holiness, they're the same word, both in Hebrew and in Greek. Um, you might call sanctification set-apartification, um, holification. Uh, they're, the, they're the same root idea. Okay, um, So progressive sanctification in this mixed condition. Okay, um, How else might we be related to holiness in this mixed condition? Justified. Yeah, declared holy. There's a forensic declaration of sinlessness. For the believer. Um, it's not practically worked out yet in all the ways that it will. It hasn't reached every practical corner and nook and cranny of our lives. Um, it hasn't reached a lot of those nooks and crannies in our lives. Um, but there is a forensic declaration in the courtroom of God that his children are righteous. They are set apart. Um, sometimes the word in your uh, sanctification in your Bible does not refer to this uh, progressive sanctification process. Sometimes the word sanctification refers to the set-apartedness that happens at conversion. Right? Um, you were set apart. Um, so watch that word sanctification. Don't just insert the theological definition. Watch the context. Sometimes it refers to the setting apart at conversion. Sometimes it refers to the progressive growth in holiness in life. But we would say here, I'm not going to write them all down, but we would say um, the holiness here in the mixed condition declared there's a declared holiness. Um, there is a progressive and practical holiness. And we would say also here there's an incomplete holiness. Right? Declared, um, progressive and practical, and incomplete. Um, what about holiness here? Yeah. Perfected and permanent. Perfected and permanent. Um we're in this box. We're not who we were. And we're not who we will be. So what is it like to put both hands on the wheel and keep this car out of the ditch? What does it mean to shepherd our hearts? Um, I think we need to understand some things about our hearts. That's what this morning is about. We're going to look at some troubling truths for our hearts. We're going to look at some comforting truths for our hearts. Again, we're looking at the mixed condition. What does it mean to drive this thing straight? We got to know it. You got to be familiar with the tendencies. Uh, let's look first at the troubling truths for the heart. You've got some blanks there to fill in. Um, if I don't emphasize the word that, that gets filled in, and you're like, you're one of those guys, it's like, man, I can't even listen to you anymore until I get this blank filled. Okay. <laughs> If you're one of those guys, just say, tell me what fills in the blank. Um, I'll be okay with that. Okay? In fact, the first one is this, hardness. Just write in hardness, and then I'll say the sentence. What keeps the sinner from God is hardness of heart. This is something you've got to know about the human heart. This is something that was true in an unmixed condition. Hard-heartedness. Um, sclerosis is the Greek word that's used for hardness of the heart so often in your Bible. Um, does that word sound familiar? 
arteriosclerosis, hardening of the arteries. Jake, you probably got a, tons of sclerosis words up your sleeve. Um, the, uh, the unmixed, unregenerate man has a hard heart. Has a hard heart. And that hardness of heart keeps him from God. Ephesians 4. Let's read verses 17 and 19. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Some of which, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Um, the sensuality and purity with greediness comes out of a heart which has a condition that Paul here calls hardness. And if you look at verse 18, that hardness produces something terrible called ignorance. Sometimes we think of ignorance as non-culpable lack of information. Right? Um, I just didn't know. I didn't didn't know what the rules were. I didn't know what the law was. I I didn't know that these things were wrong. I I didn't know that God existed, so how could he hold me accountable for his existence? Wrong. Um, This is more like the ignorance that uh, my youngest um, child. Um, And when I say that, I, I, I recognize I'm the one that gave this to her genetically. So um, if she ever hears this tape, Madeline, you need to know um, it's your fault and it's my fault. Right? I gave this to you. But uh, last night um, we, were, we were disciplining Madeline and, uh, and she was willfully ignorant. She just wouldn't look at us in the eyes. She didn't want to listen to what we had to say. She knew. She's, one, she's not even two years old yet. And, and she knew she was a rebel. <laughs> Hard-hearted, stubborn. We had about a, a two-hour session with a one-and-a-half-year-old last night over her rebellion. I mean, it's just crazy. And she dug in her heels, and she refused to do things that she can and should and knows that she should do, and it was so obvious. If you would have asked me ten years ago, um, you know, could you could you see the rebellion in a one-and-a-half-year-old? I'd go, I don't know. <laughs> um, five one-and-a-half-year-olds in, I can tell you you can see it. <laughs> It becomes very evident, very obvious. Um, There was willful, culpable ignorance all over her face. I mean, it was like, I don't want you to look at me right now because I'm putting on display my rebellion. Um, I don't want to hear your voice. I don't want to look at your eyes. Um, The the ignorance that Paul has in mind for the unbelievers here in Ephesians 4, uh, it's not your get-out-of-jail-free card. Oh, I was just ignorant. Um, It's culpable ignorance stemming from hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. And that keeps them from God. Look at verse 18. They're darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Do you realize what hardness of heart, which is all this man has, do you realize what it does? It excludes you from the life of God. Let that soak in. Every created being has its existence derivatively. We have a derived existence. 
We are not self-sufficient or self-sustaining. We are dependent because we're creatures. Do you understand that God gives life and existence to everything that lives or exists? God gives it. And to exclude yourself from the life giver is to exclude yourself from the things for which you were made, the things for which you were designed. To exclude yourself from that which is life indeed. From that which is life really. is craziness. And the unregenerate man, hard-hearted, ignorant, excluding himself from the life of God, is at the same time trying to squeeze out of life whatever he can get. And thinking that's, that's where life is. And it's like he's taking a, an old last year's dried out lemon and trying to get juice out of it. And there's just nothing there. Nothing can be gained from sex, drugs, and rock and roll if that's where you think life is. Solomon knew that. Read Ecclesiastes 2. He tried it all. And you can't out Solomon Solomon in that experiment. Can't do it. He was the he was the ruler of the of the world superpower at the time. Had every resource at his disposal. Uh, you, you you can read in in First Kings about how many cows were slaughtered for his steak dinners every single night. Staggering. Um, the the best bands in the whole world were his live music at the dinner table. Um, count the wives and the concubines. It's just crazy. Everything was available to Solomon that the world could offer, and his conclusion was. Emptiness, vanity, a chasing after wind. Why? Because life can't be found there. Ignorance and rebellion against God will actually exclude you from life. From the life of God. Michael? I'll ask a question about the ignorance. So, do you think like this ignorance is talking about, I know here it's probably talking about non-believers, but could this also be talking about the believer as well? Yeah, so... And, 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 uh, and you're ahead of the curve here. Um, but it's a good question. I'll answer it now. Um, what exists in this mixed condition? A new heart, new desires, new affections, new thinking, and the residual hangovers of this unmixed condition. Bad thinking, old desires, Old thoughts, old affections, old idolatries, garbage, trash. So is that ignorance still here? Yeah. Why do you think we need to grab the wheel with both hands and shepherd our hearts with the word of God? We need to be renewed in our minds day by day. Romans 12, present, active, imperative. That is, keep on doing this. (laughs) Be renewed. Um, It doesn't happen automatically. Got to keep your hands on the wheel. Great question. Uh, Let's jump to number two. I'll give you the word to fill in and then read the sentence. Naturally. Naturally is your word. Whenever possible, unbelief will naturally take root in the heart. Not belief. Right? Uh, Where was that 67 Mustang going? Uh, In the ditch into oncoming traffic. Naturally. It's where it wanted to go. Um, And the only reason it didn't go there is if I was undistracted and had both hands on the wheel. The heart naturally runs toward unbelief. Um, 
I don't have to go very far to illustrate this in my own life. I don't think you have to go very far to illustrate this in your own life. Um, when your life gets shook up, and usually by the little things, um, where does your heart go? Oh, God's not good. God doesn't know what he's doing. I know better. God, you should have done it this way. That is rank, stinking unbelief. It is. It's practical atheism. Or worse, it's a practical theism that says, I'm God. That's where our hearts go. Um, Turn to Luke 24. Verse 25. Um, by the way, you know the scene. This is the road to, the, to Emmaus. The disciples are walking. Uh, some strange man is explaining to them the events that they just personally experienced. They have to have their personal experiences explained to them. That's a strange scene, right? Um, Jesus says, you're slow of heart to believe all that the prophets said. The disciples who knew the Old Testament, who had heard Jesus' teaching, who had been with him, who heard Jesus say things like, three days I'm going to be in the ground and then I'm going to rise again, just like the prophet said. He said things like that. He told them. They even tried to fight him over it. No, 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 you won't die. Um, they did not believe. Why? Because he was dead. He said, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. Yeah, but, but I mean, but when it really happened, when they closed the tomb and it was over, it's hard to believe then. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe when the circumstances get difficult. It's hard to believe when things change, when things don't go according to your plan, when trials come. It's hard to believe. What does that say about truth? Oh, truth is just too difficult. No, 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 the truth is an open tomb, a resurrected Savior. The truth is great. My heart is awful. God is good, and His plans are perfect. My heart runs to self-exaltation. No, I have better plans than God's plans. He's not working it out according to the way I want. It's craziness. That is the residual effects of the fall still at work in our mixed condition. Belief naturally takes over. You've got to know that about your heart. You've got to know that hard-heartedness produces ignorance that keeps you from the life of God. You've got to know that you will naturally run to unbelief. You will. And there's a third thing you've got to know about your heart. This is kind of discouraging. Um, self-made religion doesn't move the heart nearer to God. Nearer is your word. Self-made religion never moves the heart nearer to God. Um, Here's the crazy thing about the human heart. Instead of running to God and saying, have mercy on me, the sinner. I got nothing. God, you got everything. And I see that you're willing to give everything that I need. What does the human heart do? God, I got this. Got this covered. 
I, I've got a need here. You're telling me it's a desperate need that, that I can't do anything about, but I, I don't think it's that desperate, and I think I can cover this. I think I can fill this need. I, I think I can fill this need with devotion, with religion, with traditions, with, with changed life, with some behavior modification. I think I can fix this one. I'm going to try harder. Janet had a conversation with Emmett yesterday. And, uh, and she was talking, about, talking to Emmett about um, lying and deception. And Emmett's response to the unveiling of his own sin was, Mom, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to tell the truth from now on. <laughs> you just blew it. <laughs> right, you just failed. <laughs> just now. But that's what the human heart wants to do. Naturally, um, naturally we're given to culpable ignorance. Naturally, we're given to unbelief. And naturally, we're given to replacing God's plans for righteousness with our own. This was Paul's great lament for the Jews. Um, rejecting God's righteousness, they sought to do what? Establish their own, Romans 10. Uh, it's the great tragedy of religion. It's the great tragedy of every single human endeavor. John MacArthur has often said there's only two religions in the world, one of divine accomplishment or one of human achievement. Put every religion, put every religion, including cultural Christianity, into the boat with Hinduism, Islam, and everything else, and it is all the same religion. It is the religion of human accomplishment, human achievement. And it is in stark contrast to what God provides for us through the death of His own Son. A declared righteous, a declared righteousness, and an imputed righteousness. The grace of God. The grace of God. Self-made religion never moves the heart nearer to God. Um, That's not to say that effort doesn't move us nearer to God. Hear this carefully. Um, There's a movement out there today which says um, sanctification is this. Let go and let God. Um, They don't say that anymore. That was the old Keswick movement. um, And everybody knows you're not supposed to say it that way anymore. Sort of a new way to say the old Keswick sanctification system, if you're familiar with all, at all with that, is um, push the reset button on your justification. Right? There's a couple very popular books from gospel-centered people when what they mean by gospel-centered is something like um, when you sin, the best way to fight your sin is to think about the fact that you were justified. Okay? You're looking at me like, Smed, that sounds good. Are you crazy right now? Um, if that's all you say, um, you have closed your New Testament. You've closed your New Testament. Um, think about how many commands there are from Jesus through the apostles in the New Testament about how to deal with sin. They're all over the place. Um, if all you do in your fight with sin is push the reset button on your justification, think about the cross. That's the only thing that you do. You're not reading your Bible. You're not reading your New Testament. Um, Do not confuse cross-centered, spirit-dependent effort to fight your sin. Don't confuse that with legalism. Don't confuse that with self-made religion or tradition. Uh, It's what Jesus calls for in the pages all over the New Testament. Um, By the way, if, uh, if you weren't at the women's retreat... Oh, I'd say get the tapes. 
Um, that's uh, that, that's where Scott was at in in, uh, in first or second Peter somewhere. Anyway, that was the theme. I wasn't there. Thanks. You, Jeff knows. How do you know? Oh, she recorded it. Oh, reported. Anybody else get a get a report from the women's retreat? It's a, oh, we can all listen to it. Great. Thanks, Tom. Uh, <laughs> I would highly recommend it. All right, second section here. Uh, those are some discouraging truths from the heart. You could sum it up this way. Um, listen, you brought you into today, right? Um, God didn't redeem you completely and perfectly, totally in the way that he will. You still live with your heart. Jeremiah 17.9 applies to the mixed condition, right? When you got a new heart, it did not replace your old heart. It was added to. Your new heart is an amalgam of who you were and who you are and who you're becoming in Christ. You have a new identity in Christ. But now, for now, not forever, but for now, it is tied to the residual fallen nature. So, those are the discouraging truths for your heart. Here's some comforting ones. Six. Um, and this is this is good news. This is the gospel. Um, Romans 5.20 Grace reigns through righteousness unto eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that great news? Grace reigns. That is, just as sin reigned in death, just as sin reigned as a king and dominated your existence over here, just as sin was the only master you knew and was the only one that could tell you what to do, and you followed him and you loved it, and you hated it and you loved it, and sin was dominating, just as sin reigned in death. So also, Romans 5.20, grace reigns through righteousness into eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what that means? Grace is not just a disposition. Grace is not just a a feeling God has. Sometimes um, the way grace gets sung about on on Christian radio or written about or talked about in popular culture um, is grace means let bygones be bygones. Show some grace. You know, be Santa Claus for a moment. Wink at sin and just love people anyway. Well, how loving would it be for God to redeem us and not change us? For God to leave us in a completely unmixed state where we can't do what pleases Him. Where we can't do what brings us life and joy and peace and fun not love and that's not the definition of grace grace reigns and follow the analogy just like sin reigned resulting in death dominated like a king grace dominates same word literally the word reigns there in Romans 520 is kings he kings if you can turn king into a verb grace does that grace reigns through righteousness into eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That that opens the door to Romans 6, right? Um, I'm ahead of myself by about four points. I'm so sorry. Okay, first one is this. Um, God opens the heart to respond to the gospel. God opens the heart to respond to the gospel. The word you're looking for is opens. Opens. Turn to Acts 16. I love this little window into what goes on at conversion. We get the story of of Lydia here. 
Uh, Paul's in Philippi. Uh, there's a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. Um, and look at verse 14. She was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by God. Spoken by Paul. Um, who opened Lydia's heart? God did. So, here's this, here's this crazy thing going on. Supernatural thing. If you've ever thought that preaching or evangelism or teaching your kids the Word of God or shepherding your own heart was some sort of mechanical or merely natural thing, you know, plug in the numbers and out comes the result. Um, you don't understand what's going on here. This is supernatural stuff. Miraculous things just happened right here. Paul is talking. Paul is talking from the Scriptures. And God does something. He opens Lydia's heart to hear. Um, what is an unbeliever's heart like when it hears the word of God when God doesn't open? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 2.14, right? The, the natural man cannot get the spiritual things because they're spiritually appraised. Now, I love Rick Collins' analogy. He, he says this is like trying to tune in an FM station on an AM radio. Right? You just can't do it. Especially when the AM radio doesn't have the batteries in it. And especially when the AM radio with no batteries has the insides all torn out and it's at the bottom of a, of a salt lake. And then it's been put on a rocket and thrown to the moon so you can't even adjust it or mess with it. Plus your arms are ripped off and you can't... I mean, he goes on. His illustration's even longer than that. You're never going to hear that FM station on that radio. It's just not going to happen. The natural man is not going to hear the things of the Spirit of God. And think about your own life. How many times did you hear truth? How many times did you hear the gospel? Or how many times did you walk outside and see what the heavens are screaming? Psalm 19 and Romans 1. They're declaring the glory of God. His attributes, His eternal power and divine nature, clearly seen from what has been made so that men are without excuse. How many times did you hear that message and not hear it? Acts 16, God opened Lydia's heart. Isn't that great? The immaterial Lydia, the real Lydia, you know, the, not the physical outer shell, but the person was opened to the Word of God by the Spirit of God. The preaching of God's Word. Supernatural stuff. God opens hearts to respond to the gospel. Isn't that great that, that God doesn't come and say, okay, here's the answer. You conduct some external moral reform. You clean yourself up, and then we can start talking. God penetrates the external, goes right to the heart, goes right to the immaterial you, goes right to the inner man, and transforms it. A conversion. In a blink one final moment that changes everything. Born again. Isn't that a great analogy? Born again. There's a singular moment when you were born. Uh, for some of your mothers, maybe that singular moment was more hours than others. But, I mean, there's an event that happens and you were born. Can't go back. It's not some like extended transition. It happens. Born again. You didn't do it. You didn't cause it. You didn't think it up. It happened to you, and it's an event. Here, Lydia's heart was opened. Got to ask the question, have you seen that in your life? 
You can't be a Christian and say, oh, I've always been a Christian. It's not true. It's not true. You've got to say, I once was lost, but now. I was dead, but God. There's got to be a but God in there somewhere. Number two, God enlightens dark hearts to know Christ. God enlightens dark hearts to know Christ. Here's this dark heart. How is it ever going to change? Well, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 and 5. Somebody read that for us. And will you read verse 6 as well? Okay. So, in this unmixed condition, there are more enemies than just you. Your enemy is you. You're the enemy. We've seen the enemy and it's me, right? That's you. Um, but there are more enemies. This guy is not just um, unable to do righteousness, unable to not sin. He's also blinded by Satan. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Uh, there are a lot of enemies here. Um, not to mention the world, which is its entire anti-God system, is aligned with everything that's going on here. All allied against the person who should worship God. Uh, that satanic blinding, that unmixed condition, and that anti-God system that all rage against the human soul are undone in one fell swoop. And it would take a remarkable fell swoop. right? And the only place it can come is the creator of the universe. Remember the one who said, Light be! Remember that one? He shone his light into our hearts so that we might love the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You can't know the gospel apart from that. God enlightens dark hearts. And it's great. He starts right where we are. Doesn't wait for you to clean yourself up. He speaks life into existence. Just like he spoke light into existence for the universe, he speaks light and life into existence in the human heart. Number three, God cleanses hearts through faith. God cleanses hearts through faith. Turn to Acts 15. Acts 15 is the scene of a significant controversy. Uh, Judaizers are trying to corrupt the gospel uh, with their traditions. They're, they're, they're trying to say that uh, it's not just by grace alone, through faith alone. You've got to get circumcised too. You've got to be Jewish to get to Jesus um, and, and these kinds of things. The, the apostles come back at this with the gospel. Um, one, one key verse here. Uh, we're not going to take the time to look at the whole thing. Um, but look at verse 9. God made no distinction between us and them, uh, Jews and Gentiles, uh, as believers, cleansing their hearts by faith. Cleansing their hearts by faith. Such a great truth here. When it comes to the heart that was in this unmixed condition, when it comes here, God doesn't just forgive sin. He begins to promote a cleansing from sin at the heart level. 
Jesus said, out of the heart the mouth speaks. Listen, you're going to see a changed heart, a cleansed heart, a heart that is being transformed and cleaned up. Um, You're going to see that manifest in the way you talk. And not just an avoidance of the wordy dirts, uh, dirty words, right? Um, but uh, speaking those things which are glorifying to God and beneficial for the building up of others. You're going to see a change in the way you talk. You're going to see a change in the way you behave. You're going to see a change in the way that you think. That is a washing that is going on at the heart level. God does that. You know, I've often asked the question, um, if God has predestined me to look like Jesus, and he doesn't like hypocrisy... Why does he let me still be a hypocrite here for my entire earthly Christian existence? God, your plan is messed up. Uh, I think he's up to something. I'll tell you, most of you guys know my my dad was uh, killed in a plane crash two weeks ago today. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, I'll tell you about Gary Flint. Gary Flint is a family friend for a long time. Gary Flint knew my dad when they were uh, fraternity brothers at Texas Tech University, uh, the same years that Steve Lawson was the quarterback at Texas Tech. A little trivia for you. Um, my dad wasn't a believer then. They went to Vietnam together and, and, and flew airplanes, got shot at, um, and did Vietnam War stuff together. My dad wasn't a believer. Um, Gary knew my dad when he gave his life to Christ. 1980, 19, probably 1980. And uh, I had never heard this story before. I've known Gary for a long time. Gary told me this week, he said, uh, Smith, I, I knew your dad. I knew who he was. Um, I knew when he gave his life to Christ. Um, one day we were flying remote control airplanes together. Your dad looked up in the blue sky and said, Gary, wouldn't this be a great day for the Lord to return? And Gary said, I I knew right there I was not where I needed to be. I got in my car. And I repented and gave my life to Christ. And uh, why did God leave my dad in a mixed condition? So that a watching world could see a man who was arrogant, selfish, cocky, um, be humbled and transformed progressively into the image of Jesus Christ. It's good. God's plan is good. Romans 6, number 4, God frees the heart from sin to become obedient. God frees the heart from sin to become obedient. The summary of Romans 6 is you used to be a slave to sin. Uh, at conversion, you're no longer a slave. That old slave master has no power over you, cannot reign over you, does not dominate. Um, when you sin, you are freely giving yourself over to your old slave master and doing the old stuff. Um, but you're not a slave. It's like being in prison with the cell door wide open and, and the shackles dangling on the walls not attached to your arms and you're taking those chains and go, yeah, these felt comfortable back in the old days. I kind of like the way they feel. But you're free. God has done something here at conversion, changed your relationship to sin fundamentally. Um, go back and read Romans 6. I won't go through it here. <laughs> By God's grace, um, you're different. Your identity in Christ means you've been crucified with Him, you were dead, buried, and now raised with Him to walk in newness of life. You are not a slave. You're not a slave. 
Number five, Christ makes himself home in our hearts by faith. Uh, Somebody read Ephesians 3.17. Messiah, God in the flesh, second person of the Trinity, creator and sustainer of the whole universe, the word of God, the image of the invisible God, this Jesus dwells in your heart. Remember this? uh, Immediate fellowship with God. Um, Broken. Broken promise from God, I will be their God, they will be my people, and I will dwell with them. A tabernacle in the wilderness. A temple built by Solomon. Torn down, rebuilt, torn down, rebuilt, pulled apart. Curtain torn in two. Messiah, the hoped for one, the coming one, God himself now dwells in the hearts of believers makes his home in your heart this begs a few questions right um, does he feel at home there is, that, is it a good residence does he like it is he comfy there's a few sermons wrapped up in that number six Christ establishes hearts without blame and holiness Establishes is the word you're looking for. First Timothy or uh, First Thessalonians three. Verses eleven to thirteen. Paul prays, Now may our God and Father Himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. That's a mouthful. Um, Here's the promise. Um, Your hearts that have been here and are now here, that have been declared here, are practically going to resemble the declaration. In reality, in actual practice, they're going to look like what has been declared to be true by God at the cross. Guys, that's good news. Um, We're not there yet. What do you do here? Get both hands on the wheel. Tell your heart where to go. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for these men. I thank you for their desire to engage and discipline one. To tell their hearts how to feel, what to think, what to do. Um, God, we, we recognize our inability. We recognize we can't do this apart from your power, apart from uh, the work of the Holy Spirit, apart from the agency of your word. Um, we also know um, that if we don't expose ourselves to your word, we're not going to hear it. Um, we know that we must do what we can't do. <laughs> what a strange paradox. But God, we trust you. We trust your design and your plan. And I pray that these men would run hard, uh, would uh, steer straight, would shepherd their hearts uh, for your glory, for the progress of the gospel, 
and for their good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, man.